Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Soul Survivor Podcast. We are back with another week of off-season content. How are you doing, Ryan? It's good to be back. It's good to be back, and uh, I hope it's not too long of an off-season. It's been fun doing everything that we've been doing, but I, I miss the episodes themselves, Dylan. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be possibly a longer off-season than we even anticipated, so let's hope that they figure something out, because this is pretty brutal. You know what? <laughs> Like Jeff said, at least they're determined to come back. They're focused on doing everything they can to get our favorite show back on the air. So we just got to cross our fingers and hope for the best. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, we we have some news to get into here before we get everything started. So Hef has been in and out recently. He's been pretty busy. He's starting up a new job. He's moving in a couple of months. So for the foreseeable future, Hef is taking a leave of absence. Uh, we don't know where this is going to go in the future, but thank you to Hef for all his contributions. You know, me and him started up the podcast in dirt right at the beginning of season 39 from our college apartment. And uh, just thank you to Hef for all his contributions because without him, there would be no Soul Survivor podcast. And, no, I, I, hope, and I, I hope he comes back to join us, even if it's like a year from now. No, I totally agree. Hef obviously brings a lot of energy to the show, some controversial opinions. He's always a great personality. Um, I was glad to be able to podcast with him. And yeah, I hope I wish him the best. I know he's heading to Exile Island right now, but <laughs> I'm hoping he comes back at some point, even if it's for like a one-off podcast, but no, wishing him all the best. Yeah, Hef's, Hef's on on the edge of extinction right now. We're I'm just, sorry, he's on EOE. He's, yeah, on EOE. He, he's on the edge. He just, we don't know when that challenge to get back in the game is going to be. That's, <laughs> That's like actually but, a really good comparison. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so getting to tonight's topic. So, we were supposed to do a different podcast tonight that got scrapped last minute. So we decided based on a great suggestion from the fans, I'm going to shout him out right now. His name was Liam. Uh, he suggested that we do top survivor moves in history. So we said, you know what? Sounds like a great idea. So we took the top 20 moves that we, well, we took what we think are the top 20 moves in survivor history and we ranked them, uh, you know, me and Ryan kind of did this all together and we're going to just read out our top 20 for tonight's podcast. And I'd love to hear the feedback from the fans, um, everybody watching. Um, if you're watching this late and not live, be sure to comment below what you think of our rankings, what you think we left out, uh, what should be higher, what should be lower. I'm really excited for this. I'm excited too. Uh, as someone once famously said, and it also was an episode title, this game respects big moves. We'd love to see uh, great moves in terms of TV moments in terms of did it help the players get farther in the game? Was it innovative and creative? Have we ever seen it again? So I'm excited to break down 20 moves that we will always keep talking about because of how big, how strategic, or how flashy they were. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I'm excited to get into this. So we'll get, look, we, we know that the top 20, it could take a while. Um, we're going to try not to get too deep into any moves so that we can keep it moving along, but let's get right started. Let's get started right away here, and I will throw up what our number 20 is, which is Devin throws a vote, an extra vote on Dr. Mike in the final five, heroes, healers, hustlers. Ryan, I know you want to talk about this one. Yes, my love for uh, underrated player Devin Pinto deserves a second chance. Uh, this is a great move because it demonstrates how forward thinking you have to be 
in Survivor. You ha- and Peridia mentions this in some of his videos. You can't just think about what you have and what you're going to do in the game. You must think about what your opponents are going to do and what they have in the game. And that lets you kind of see the game as a chessboard. So Devin basically realizes at the final five, you know, Chrissy has immunity. Ben might have an idol. Ryan, Chrissy, and um, Dr. Mike all doubt Ben has an idol because he's kept playing idols over and over again. So Devin says, you know what? If we all vote for Ben and Ben plays an idol and I he votes for me, I'm going to go home. So why don't I throw a vote onto Dr. Mike as an insurance plan? And I won't throw a vote on Ryan and Chrissy because I might need their two votes to save me in a tie. And Ryan says, I don't think so. You know, he doesn't have an idol. You're fine. Turns out Ben does have an idol. He plays it on himself. He does vote for Devin. And Devin throws a rogue vote to Dr. Mike. And then in the revote, Ryan and Chrissy save Devin and vote Mike out. So again, this is not obviously like one of the top 10 moves in history, but it's a really great subtle move that does not get enough credit because it shows how forward thinking you have to be. Yeah, and just because a move is not flashy doesn't necessarily mean it's not in the top 20. I mean, exactly. several several players in Survivor history would not have thought the way Devin thought. And you know what? Ben has already played an idol um, before. So if he pulls another Ben bomb, I could be the one going home today if I you know, just go with the other four. So why not just throw a vote on somebody else just in case he votes for me? And turned out that it worked completely in his favor. I really need a. We really need like a survivor soundboard, so I can just get the Ben Bomb sound of like the. <laughs> it could be a. It could be a future investment. You never know what could be coming down the line. We get a soundboard in here. Hopefully. Yeah, but uh, Devin was in our second chance cast. Extremely underrated player. If he wins fire making, he could have won the game. You never know. Yeah. Exactly. So that is our number twenty. So our number nineteen, from Ghost Island. Dominic Abate, fake idol bluff at the final six. So this is one of my favorite moves ever, just because of the theatrics that went behind it. Now, Ghost Island was a weird season. You know, you had everybody going to Ghost Island, a island where you find survivor relics, advantages from the future that may have not, that didn't work out for somebody or haunted somebody else was the reason they went home and you had to reverse the curse. And I'm not, 100% 100% positive whose idol Dom got. I don't know if you remember this, um, which which idol from the past he got, but he got an idol. And the way that he could successfully reverse the curse was if he used it successfully as a fake idol. And that's exactly what he did at the final six. He, at Tribal Council, pulled out an idol and pretty much convinced everybody that he was not going home. And at the end of the day, Sebastian ends up going home. He plays it off completely perfectly. And ultimately that tribal council could have been one of the reasons why he didn't win the game because, because people like Donathan took offense to the way he acted uh, Sebastian as well. I know Sebastian was a little bit bitter because he was the one that went home there. Um, but you know, players didn't exactly like the way that he acted. Um, so he got, he got a little bit unlucky that it was a bitter jury there, but I personally thought it was an unreal move. It was something that, you know, like he, like he said, you know, like he said in the past in interviews, and we spoke to him about, you know, this kind of stuff. Like he had to do that in order to pull off this move. He had to act like that. And I just think that it was incredible personally. Yeah, I agree. I think you actually bring up a good, a few good points that I want to mention. You mentioned the word theatrics and acting. And I think that's actually going to be a big part of our list. Um, I think the jury, because they got voted out, they want to still be, they still want to feel a part of the game. They have a vote at the end. But until that point, they're kind of just watching and observing. And they want to feel a part of the action, especially if you look at Edge of Extinction, where they're stuck on the edge and they're bored 
for most of their game, they get to come to Tribal and see a show. And when Rick Devins is putting on a great show for people, it makes them want to vote for him. Now, like you said, if you don't do theatrics the right way and you're a little bit too cocky, you might lose some respect and some votes where Dom loses Kellen and Sebastian's votes in those in that Tribal but he still does a good job showcasing his uh, his game to the jury. Um, so I do think theatrics is a really big point. Um, also, to answer your question, I'm pretty sure the the real idol he had was Andrea's from Caramoan that she went home with. Mm-hmm. And I think the fake idol he bluffed with was the one that Dave David made for Jay. I'm pretty sure those were his two right, idols. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but no, I do agree. I think it was a really great move. Again, really great bluff by Dom. I think to be a great player, you need to know when to obviously lie, but also bluff with what you have. Um, and I also think that this move had a lot of other moving parts, Dylan, because, you know, this is the tribal where Angela comes to Dom before tribal and says, Seabass has an extra vote and he's going to use it tonight to take you out. And Dom goes, huh, well, I don't want that to happen, but I want to save my idol for a guaranteed final five play. So if I bluff, maybe I can make sure I'm safe. And he bluffs properly and Seabass doesn't even play the extra vote. So it was a really great move. Yeah, I mean, again, like the fact that they, the fact that they bought that it was a legit idol and still mm-hmm. invoked him just to test him is like just a testament to how good Dom, how good Dom was with this move. It was it was completely perfect. Mm-hmm. All right, so the next move that I will talk about number eighteen, and this is this could be a controversial one. We we spoke about this before, Ryan, but I think it's extremely forward thinking. Number 18, Spencer blindsides Fishback in Cambodia. So there's a lot of reasons why I'm huge on this move. And, well, ultimately, you, you think of it like, I know Spencer got no votes at the end, but he did end up in the end, okay? So that's the first thing. Second of all, even if Fishback did not look like a huge threat on TV, he's still Steven Fishback. He's Him and Spencer are probably two of the smartest players ever to play this game. Um, so the fact that Fishback had an extra vote used an extra vote to split votes and then Spencer took advantage of that in order to take out Fishback is just I think it's completely next level. Um and yeah I think you know a lot of people say that they thought that there were other bigger threats left in the game, such as Kelly Wentworth and that Fishbook Fishback should not have been the vote here from Spencer. Um but I, I think that Fishback would have been a bigger threat, would, would have been a big threat eventually to Spencer anyway. So I think that getting rid of him was the right move here. Yeah, no, I think it was a really good move. Also to answer uh, Tanner's comments in the chat, we will read the comments at some point. Um, we do want to get some honorable mentions and some moves that you think we didn't mention at the end of the podcast. So we will be addressing some of those moves. I actually do think that Mike Holloway move was actually really cool and entertaining and shows Mike's, strategic chops past his physical game um but we'll get to the comments as you know they pertain to the moves that we're talking about but also we'll get to them at the end as well but thanks for the input um but yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. anybody anybody in the comments right now we are going to get to all moves in the comments after or when they come up in the rankings so yeah keep keep commenting and we will get to them at the end yeah i mean i think you summarized the spencer move pretty well it's interesting dylan because I think it's good from the sense that Spencer notices, you know, from Fishback winning the reward and taking Jeremy and Tasha, I Spencer's very perceptive. He picks up on the fact that, you know, I'm kind of out of the loop of this core group. I mean, obviously, we all have a big alliance. Keith's in here. Kimmy's in here. You know, we want to get out the, the witch's coven, which is, you know, uh, Abby and Sierra and Wentworth, like the three outsiders. And Spencer realizes I might be in the group, but... 
I'm not on in the inner circle. So how do I move into the inner circle? Well, if I take out Fishback, I become Jeremy's right-hand man. Maybe I can beat Jeremy at the end. And I think it was good from that perspective. The only part where I feel like Spencer, and granted, you could point to Spencer's somewhat lack of a social game in that moment. But I think that also you have to realize that um, even though Fishback is a threat, you know, when Fishback gets saved by Jeremy at the final 10, when Jeremy plays the idol on him, you know, the jury's going to say if Fishback gets to the end, especially if he's there with Jeremy, you're only here because Jeremy saved you. So some people in the comments, and I was talking to uh, Dylan about this before the show, I was kind of, you know, just re looking at these moves. I was kind of refreshing my memory, kind of seeing what people's perceptions were. And some people perceived that, you know, hey, maybe he should have taken out Jeremy or a bigger threat here instead of Fishback. And I do think that's a good point. But I also think it was a good move to try to move himself into the inner circle because technically you can't, Dylan, you would agree, you can't win the game unless you're there. So Spencer was trying to make a move to get there. And I mean, he again, like he ends up getting to the yeah. end. So it worked. And being in the inner circle is so important. I mean, I don't want to spoil moves coming up, but we did just see that this past season with a player that won the game. So, <laughs> you know, in, in terms of voting players out to get further into an inner circle or to eliminate the other person in the circle. So, yeah, I mean, I, I personally thought that just this 4-3-2 vote was just brilliant strategy by Spencer, truly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know that there's other moves that people think of when they think of the season, other tribal councils, but this was this was great as well. So I wanted to make sure we get that in there. Mm -hmm. So for the next one that Ryan will talk about, number 17, the Davids do a minority split and blindside John in David versus Goliath. Listen, I love a good minority vote split. And it's tough because we don't see it that often. Usually when people have the minority versus the majority, they try to do, you know, let's try to flip somebody to our side. Let's play an idol. But, you know, at, there's times where the majority can't split the votes. You know, there's times where the majority says, okay, we have seven, they have three, we'll do a three, four, three split, and then we can try to take them out by flushing an idol. And that's possible. But there's times where the, the numbers don't allow them to split the vote and they have to put all their votes onto one person. So this is where we see great strategic players like James Lim in Ghost Island. And also like we'll see here, Davey, Nick, and Christian in David versus Goliath. We see great strategic players say, if we do a minority split where we know all the votes are coming onto one of us, we'll, we'll split our votes, even though we're in the minority, and we'll get somebody out. And this is what James does in Ghost Island, where basically they take out Morgan after realizing that the um, Navidi is going to turn on their own. They take out Morgan. But I think this is a better move. I think this is more great for TV and it happened post-merge. So it's, you know, more well-known in, you know, the Survivor legacy. Basically, all the Goliaths are going to vote for Christian. And Nick learns from Alec, and Alec's trying to play double agent, that all the votes are going to go on to Christian. And he tells this to Davey. And Davey keeps quiet about his idol and says, I'm going to save Christian. But you know what? If we all vote for Angelina, who's an easy scapegoat, then there become no votes. And that's like a no-vote tribal. What do we do? So they say, we'll throw two votes on Angelina to be safe, and we'll put three votes on John, and John goes home. It's a great usage of a minority split. Yeah, and I mean, Nick, uh, Nick, Davey, and Christian end up voting for John here, and then Gabby and Carl end up voting for Angelina. Angelina uses her idol, so she's safe. Christian is safe from the Davey idol, and then it's a 3-0-0 vote. John goes home, the mayor of Sam Slamtown. So, I mean, just, just, brill just brilliant play by probably – three of the best, I mean, I mean, arguably the three best players in the season. I know Angelina is definitely up there. Mike White's up there, but Davey, Nick, and uh, 
who am I leaving at? Davey, Nick, and who who's the other vote here? For uh, Christian. Oh, oh Christian, Christian. Yeah. Okay. Dave, Davey, Nick, and Christian, right. And then Gabby and Carl also in that alliance. So really great move. I know that this is one of this is one of the favorite one of people's favorite tribal councils from the new school era, just in general, just a lot going on. Really genius move. Well, as a quick side note, the last thing I'll say about this is that I think it's an even better TV move because we, as the audience had no idea what was happening. We knew that they were going to try to do a minority split, but they never told us who it was going to be between Angelina and who else it was going to be. So we were shell shocked, which makes it even better. Yep. Poor John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So to move on, we have number 16, a classic. Boston Rob deceives Lex to save Amber. So I know that there's going to be controversial op opinions here. I know that there's a lot we could say. But Boston Rob makes a forward thinking. I know it's so it's so like some people might not even consider this a move. Like it was just like he said to him, keep Amber safe for me and I'll have your back. That's such a like in, in new school survivor. That's just such a, like a simple thing to say, but for him to, for Lex to actually follow through and then for Rob to end up voting him out, I believe the next tribal council just completely next level stuff. Um, very, very well ahead of its head of his time. And because of this, Boston Rob ends up getting to the end with Amber and you could also say, because of this, Boston Rob ends up losing the game by one vote. But in theory, it still got him all the way from that point to the end of the game. And you can't complete. I know it's old school Survivor, so it's different. You can't completely assume that somebody's going to be that that bitter, where they're going to try and convince people just to not vote for you at all. Like I think Boston Rob kind of got got a raw, you know, not kind of. I think he did get a raw deal here in with the bitter jury and All Stars. But I just think that this move was so ahead of its time. Uh, something so simple, but worked completely perfectly for him. Like he said, you, you take care of her, I'll take care of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's tough. This is like Spencer's move where it's so tough because obviously you could say this was not a great move because he ends up losing Lex and Kathy's vote because of this and loses the game. Sorry, he gets Kathy's vote, but he loses Lex's vote here, which costs him the win. On the other hand, like you said, Dylan, it gets him to the end because if Jerry stays at that vote and Amber goes home, Jerry, Lex, Kathy, and Sheehan all go into the merge together against the five people from Shapira. And right. the problem is, is that Big Tom is a member of Shapira, but he and Lex, if you remember, played together in Africa. There was a chance Big Tom, if Jerry's there and Amber's gone, there's a chance Big Tom flips and Rob loses the number. So yes, it seems like this was like a simple move, like save my girlfriend and I'll, and I'll take care of you. It was, seems like very simple, but Rob also probably was thinking I could lose a vote here in big Tom. I have to make sure I have the numbers. So it was a good move to get him to the end, but the way he went about it, lost him Lex's votes and the game. Yeah, for, for sure. Definitely a classic move mm -hmm. and one that will be talked about forever and ends up and Boston, Robin Amber end up getting married. So, I mean, what, 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 what a lot, a lot of things come out of it, but uh, he won yeah. in the end. <laughs> anyway, number 15, Kelly saves Dean and blindsides Jack, Island of the Idols. You want to take this one, Ryan? Yeah. No, this is an example of, again, like a Devin. K Kelly is – we. I love when we see first-time players go all out and make huge moves. Again, I love the returning player season. We all love Winners at War. We all love Cambodia. But I like seeing new people play for the first time and seeing you know what these newbies can bring to the table. Kelly senses here at the vote right before the merge – she realizes that Jack and Jamal are a strong force in the game. They have a lot of allies. And 
it's going to be tough to take them out post-merge. She also knows that she has an idol that is only good for that night, but she's not really in danger. And then she also knows Dean, who is her ally, is a target. So she says to herself, and it's actually funny because she realizes this mid-confessional and she goes, and you see her pause for about 10 seconds while she's kind of thinking about it in her head. She goes, what if I give the idol to Dean? He plays it on himself, negating all the votes against him. I will throw my vote on Dean so it looks like I didn't make up this plan. And I'll get Dean and Nora to put a vote on Jack so Jack can go home and also so it doesn't bounce back on me. So it's a really intricate plan that would have worked if A, Nora didn't blab the plan right after they got back from Tribal and B, you know, Kelly kind of made herself a big target here. But otherwise, it was a really intricate, great move. Look, I think that there are a lot of flaws in this move, mm-hmm. but I think that the 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 details and the thought process behind this pretty much outweighs the flaws. Like here's the, the problem with this move is, and again, this is a lot of hindsight stuff. Like Kelly ends up getting blindsided with two idols in her pocket. The next that she finds the next episode. Um, but just, I, I think if there's not Nora and not somebody who's such a wild card, big math uh, in this game, I think this works perfectly. I think the fact that, Kelly not only thought to use the idol to bring Dean closer, but then also throw a vote on Dean to make it, to make sure she didn't have any, any blood on her hands. That in theory is perfect. Now the thing that could be debated with this move, and I think it was completely next level, but you know, at the time we didn't know that Nora was going to blabber it right after the, right after tribal, but like just, I, I don't know. It was, it was, it was so, it was honestly, it, it was so next level. And I just think that, her voting for Dean to make it seem like she she didn't have any blood on her hands. That was the next level stuff. So I do give her credit for that. And like we were talking about before, Kelly was so good at the beginning of the season. One thing that could be debated though, was it a little bit too much too early? That's Mm -hmm. what you see so much from some of these big threats. I think you could say it was, but had she used an idol when she got voted out, let's just say, then I think that she would have still had a, she would have had a massive target on her back, but, who knows what could have happened after that? Yeah, again, like really quickly, like you said, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, I think even Dean, after this vote, she thought, oh, it will, you know, give him a lot of loyalty to me. And Dean was kind of like, afterwards, I'll still vote her out. I don't care. So, I mean, it's tough. You can't play armchair quarterback and say, you know, hindsight bias. You have to just kind of go with what you know in the moment. But I do think the show is Kelly's strategic chops. Yeah, and we were talking about this before also. I would love to see Kelly back. I know you would love to see Kelly back. Most people would love to see Kelly back. But unfortunately, because of what happened, who knows if she will ever be back. But if she does want another chance, I really do hope Survivor gives her another chance for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I will talk about the next one, number 14. Chris Underwood puts himself into fire making. So an unpopular end to what I thought was an underrated season. We discussed this on hot takes last, uh, last week and Chris Underwood pretty much plays a completely perfect final episode. He gets back from, he get he wins the battle back challenge. He, I believe, I believe he played an idol for Lauren, right. To gain her trust and then ended up voting her out. Right. Is that what happened? He gets Lauren to play her idol on him. On him, right. That's what it was. Okay, I'm mixing it up. But anyway, plays a perfect episode. Uh, perfect final episode. Ends up getting the final four. Wins immunity. Is Gives up immunity and says, gives the immunity necklace to Julie and says, I'm going to take on Rick Devins tonight in fire. 
wins versus Rick Devins. Rick Devins easily was the biggest threat to win the game. Had Rick Devins walked walked into walked into fire making and won, Rick Devins easily wins, but Chris beats him to cap off the perfect episode and ends up winning the game. I know this could be a little bit unpopular just because Chris Underwood is an unpopular winner because he did spend a lot of time on Edge of Extinction, but I think, like like you said when we were talking about before, this was one of the ballsiest moves in the history of Survivor, and I think you got to give credit where credit is due here. Yeah, I mean, if this doesn't say the phrase "go big or go home," nothing else will. And I think it's, I mean, a lot of people will say, you know, and this is kind of what Dominic's um, idea was when he when he was in this dilemma at Ghost Island. It's like, you know, I could do this. I could put myself into fire to take out the biggest threat, but if I lose then I just took myself out of four and I can't win the game unless I'm there. So this is a really hard argument. I don't even know if I would have the confidence to do this at final four. Cause I want to make sure that I'm there to plead my case. But yeah, again, you have to give Chris Underwood a lot of credit for realizing in any scenario, if Rick Devins is there, Rick Devins wins. So I have to do everything I can to make sure that doesn't happen. So I do give him a lot of credit for that. Despite how controversial the whole season was, you have to give Chris credit for going all out when he had his second chance at the game. Look, yeah. And I do want to give our guy Dom uh, some credit here, because if he does not throw out that idea in at the end of season 36, ghost Island, he doesn't end up doing it to make Mm -hmm. file get fire against Wendell. But if just him throwing out that idea and getting at that confessional, these edge of extinction contestants, they just had seen that season before they went out to play. So I'm sure that played a major role in Chris's thought process. So I want to give Dom some credit there for thinking of that idea. And then Chris actually putting it into play, just really, really ballsy, risky move that ends up winning him the game. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the next one, number 13, Aubrey gets tied to flip on Scott and Jason Korong. I'll, I'll, I'll take this one. Yeah. So you have, Aubrey, you have so Ty is in a tight what what is what is thought to be a tight three with Scott and Jason. It they have the I, between the three of them they had two idols. I know Ty had one, and then I believe uh, Jason had the other, right? Yeah, they were sharing. Right, it, yeah. right. So they right, but they were kind of you know sharing it between the three of them. And the way it worked is that they needed two idols in order to form a super idol that could be played with after the vote. So what happens is Aubrey's alliance decides that they're going to vote for Scott that night. And what happens is Aubrey convinces Ty to go with them. Ty ends up voting Scott. The votes are read for Scott. Scott gets voted out. And then Scott famously turns to Ty and is like, well, let's go. Let's play the super idol. And Ty was just like, no, I'm not going to do it. And that was the blind side that ends Scott and Scott's uh, time here on Survivor. It's co wrong. Pretty, 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 uh, pretty villainous move from Ty, who looks to be so, so like, so not villainous. Like this is, you know, but. Really, really great move by him. God, the pro athletes just can't catch a break in Survivor, huh? Yeah. Can't catch a break. Um, no, again, this is a great move by Aubrey. I know Ty is the one who doesn't do it, but I think Aubrey is, you know, so instrumental in making Ty flip here. It's kind of like how Coach is instrumental in making Cochran flip in South Pacific. Um, basically, Aubrey picks up on the fact that Ty is aligned with Scott and Jason, but his morals and his character don't really align with them. And she kind of wants to talk to him about that and pick up on those nodes and try to say, Hey, you know what? You can come play the game with us and we'll play the game differently. And I, I res- I give her a lot of credit for picking up on, on those facts. And, uh, you know, basically not only does she get tied her side as a number, she basically ensures that, Hey, if this is the final two, for some reason, I know it's a final three, but if it's me and Ty in the end, 
he just screwed over Scott and Jason. He won't get their votes and he won't get Nick's vote. And Julia is their friend. He won't get Julia's vote. So Aubrey's not only getting the number, she's kind of isolating some of Ty's jury votes as well. So I feel like Aubrey is a great social and strategic player. Obviously, in my mind, one of the, if not the best player in Survivor co-wrong. So I give Aubrey a lot of credit here for this move. Yeah. Um, and look, I, I know that it's very popular opinion that Aubrey should have won this season. If she were to win, this definitely would have been her signature move. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. So number 12, the three amigos double idol play to take out Philip Caramoan. You want to go with this one? Yeah, so this was one where, again, I think this is controversial. I feel like we have a lot of great, um, you know, moves here and then some that you could argue, you know, maybe should have or shouldn't have made the list. I think this one, when we talk about, you know, moves that are flashier, moves that we remember or big moves in Survivor history, this is a big move. Obviously, the biggest caveat against this move is that it doesn't really work out in the long run because Malcolm will go out right after this Philip line side and um, Reynolds will go out after him. So the three amigos could have maybe leveraged their spot in the game. But when we talk about big moves, Dylan, and we hear the three amigos say, look, Reynolds has immunity. I have an idol. And this is Malcolm. I have an idol. I'm going to give Eddie my other idol. The three of us are safe. I think, I think their mistake here was they said, and we're all going to vote Philip. I think actually, and this is funny. I think to Tanner's point, to bring Tanner's point up about Mike, where Mike kind of did Russian roulette, like one of you guys is going to get a vote. I think that's actually what the three amigos should have done. I think the three amigos should have said, look, we're going to put three votes on somebody. Andrea thinks it's her, but we're going to put our three votes on someone. Cochran, Sherry, Dawn. So you guys, you know what? Figure it out amongst yourselves. And maybe in that moment they realize, because I think Cochran's smart, and Cochran probably says, yeah, Philip is the figurehead, but he's not really running a lot of stuff. Maybe Cochran says, oh, I'll make a big move, and I'll take out Brenda or Andrea here. So I guess, again, to Tanner's point where Mike plays Russian roulette, I think – the three amigos should have played Russian roulette here to see, you know, who the Alliance was going to flip on. But again, it was a big move. It was super memorable. And Philip goes out in a grand fashion. Yeah. And I, I completely agree. And I know that people like to joke around about Philip and you say he might've been the figurehead, but he was doing a pretty good job of keeping um, the, keeping the, fa- uh, the favorites together. Uh, the ones who were in his stealth R us Alliance. And that Alliance was, you know, pretty much running the game, at least from what the edit told us. So I think it was, you know, a pretty good move and definitely a flashy one as well. Yeah. Uh, quick uh, uh, question in the, in the ch- uh, comments from Adam. This is actually a good point. He asks, um, I don't know if you could bring it up. Oh, there you go. Um, he mentions that, you know, if Chris gives up immunity to Julie, since we just talked about this, would she then not be the one to pick a ghost to fire since she holds a necklace? This was actually debated a lot uh, after the season. I know Robin Steven covered this. I think everybody and Jeff just assumed that if Julie has the necklace, she'll take her ally Gavin with her and she'll put the two biggest threats, the guys into fire. But yeah, Adam's right. I think technically as per the rules, if Julie has the necklace, then she says, I'm going to bring who I want. But I think it was kind of like a formality. That's actually, I actually never thought about that. I never thought about that. But what you would think that she would have sent them both to fire anyway. I think everybody just assumed like, okay, like she's going to take Gavin and the, and the big threats are going to go to fire. But I technically, as per the rules, Julie should be the one to say, I'm Unless, Gavin. Yeah. Maybe that was the case and they just didn't show it. But like me, I don't, I don't know. I feel like they would have showed that, but maybe also the, I guess the only, t- the only reason she would not have taken Chris, she, the only reason she would have taken Chris and put Gavin there would have been to not bolster 
Chris's resume, but then you also have to think that Rick Evans probably beats probably beats Gavin anyway. So I, I don't know, but that's actually a really interesting question by Adam there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So the next one, number eleven. So this is one of this is one of the all time hilarious moves in my opinion, but also a very good one. So we put it on here up high. Boston Rob blindsides Matt for a second time. Redemption Island. I believe the quote was send his ass right back to redemption. That was, that was the line from Rob to Grant as soon as Matt won his way back in at the merge. And, you know, here's, here's why this move is so smart because Rob basically realized that he's playing with a bunch of newbies and, you know, happened to be playing with a lot of people who are really young. Also, maybe we're trying to get their footing in the game. And he said, we have to stay strong. And he basically brainwashed them to think anybody who is not with us is against us. Anybody who, even talks to anybody else is against us and clearly matt was a big threat originally which is why he gets voted out now matt comes back uh i, I forgot what it, Oma, Oma Tepe, right that was their tribe name right so Ometepe has a seven five advantage going into the merge if you do count matt so they didn't need matt to pull pull this move off um they had the strong six which was philip grant rob ashley andrea and natalie and what they do is they all vote Matt because they think that because Rob thinks that Matt is the one that could potentially plant seeds and end up breaking up this group. Matt and Andrea were extremely close, and he did he knew that Andrea was a great player and did not want to let Matt get into Andrea's head enough to the point where they could eventually flip and he could lose those numbers and have his game in jeopardy. So this was really a huge merge merge vote, and a lot of people say that one of them, a lot of people say the merge vote is you know, definitely one of the most important votes in Survivor in terms of the whole game because it pretty much sets the tone for the rest of the game, and that's exactly what this did here. Rob got got rid of a potential threat to his alliance of six, and then from there they pretty much just picked, picked one by one by one off, and Rob ends up winning the game. So this is, a, again, a smaller type move that was hilarious because, and you know, I'm sure people felt bad for Matt, but it was really funny that he got sent back right back to redemption. Um, but yeah, Boston Rob pretty much perfected this one. This is it's so brutal, so brutal. And I, I, you're right, it did set the tone. And this is what David Murphy mentions when he gets up there in front of the jury and says to them, like, look, you got to give it to Rob. He basically put fear into his alliance, said it's us versus them. And if you show any sign of disloyalty, one by one, you'll go home. So Rob basically dictated the game from this point on, even, even if he wasn't already. And I just think that this basically, just this just shows after four times, Rob understands the game and understands that any little seed of doubt can grow. The minute Matt comes to him and says, Hey, you know, I was thinking of flipping or I was approached to flip. I thought about it, but I said, no, he realizes, Oh, I'm not leaving this loose end in the game. It's got to go. So this is just great puppet master stuff by Rob. Yeah, for sure. All right. Number 10, we're at, we're, we're in the top 10 now we're at halftime. So we got 10 more left. And I'm sure I'm curious to hear to see what you guys think of our first 10 and what you guys think of the 10 we have coming up. So number 10, very fresh in our minds. Speaking Denise, of brutal. Denise slays the queen, winners at war. Ryan, want to take this one? Oh, the queen slayer. Denise, first of her name. Um, basically, this is the modern day poverty double idol play that you may or may not see later. Um, but basically... <laughs> This is amazing by Denise, um, and it was so great to see Denise in confessionals here and to hear her say, look, as a player and as a former winner, 
I'm known for surviving every tribal council. I have a great social game, but I don't have a lot of flashy moves on my overall survivor resume. And when Sandra approaches her and says, look, you give me your two fire tokens and I'll give you an idol. Denise realizes, you know, Sandra's acting kind of confident here. And she basically wants to take credit for this move with no blood on her hands. And I'm, I'm like looking like the bad guy to take out either Jeremy or Tony. And I don't want to do that. And she realizes I have an idol already. I can make a big move here. And yeah, she's telling me they're all going to vote for me. But what if she's lying to my face? I give up my tokens to her and Jeremy goes home. She basically in one fell swoop, and this is why this is great because Denise manages to then go back under the radar. In one tribal, she manages to save herself and Jeremy, only give up one fire token and keeps one fire token for herself and blindsides the queen. So I think this is, again, in recent memory, one of the biggest moves we've seen on TV that left everybody completely shell-shocked to see Denise do that to Sandra. Yeah, and I mean, there's a few reasons why this this move was so shocking. So first of all, Denise is not the type that you would expect to make this move. Like she hadn't made a flashy move like that before. And mm-hmm. I think that's why it really ends up working so well. Then I remember us being on the podcast after and talking about this, but the editing was so perfect because you thought Tony was going home. The camera kept panning Tony, Tony, Tony. And we're all of us Tony fans over here like, no, no, no. And then boom, Sandra just shocked when her name ends up coming up. I audible, audible yells from my family when I was watching, like I'm sure a lot of people at home also just completely amazing tribal council and really, really smart by Denise to say that she's going to pay the token to, she's going to pay Sandra one token after so that she doesn't actually have to give it to her. She can keep one for herself. Just really, really next level. A lot of people say she wastes an idol by playing it on Jeremy, but I a hundred percent think that, it was the right move because you look, I know you could say it in hindsight, you could say the idol is wasted, but I think if you're going to make a big move like that, you have to make sure it work. It works. Like you have to ensure that it's going to work. So she makes her, she's safe. She makes sure Jeremy's safe and she ends up voting out the queen. Now, a lot of people could also criticize this move in hindsight because Tony ends up winning the game. That's you, you, to me. You can't really say that. I mean, you could say it in hindsight, but like in the moment, the right move was to get rid of Sandra here. And I truly believe that. Adam mentions in the comments, uh, this would have been a great move for Sandra if she would have known Denise was gunning for her before the game started. Yeah, we've, we've actually referenced this a couple of times in some of our other podcasts where uh, one of the, um, you know, uh, r- reporting sites or one of the one of the, uh, the news sites, I think it was Dalton Ross. Somebody asked the players before the game, who would you vote out? And Denise wrote down Sandra's name. So if she only knew this was coming. Yeah, I mean, look, just just a move that left everybody shocked. And I will give everybody a hint and say this will not be the last time we see winners at war on this list. So uh, I, know you want to be ready. I know you want to talk about the next one, Ryan. So yeah. I'm going to go to that right now. Number nine, Natalie saves Jacqueline and blindsides Baylor. Jacqueline, did you vote for who I told you to vote for? This is such a boss move. Um Again, and to reference your earlier point when you mentioned theatrics and you mentioned, you know, making a show to the jury, this is what you do. Basically, you say to the jury, like, I'm controlling this game. This is my move that I'm making, and I'm kind of dictating how the end game will go. And that's what Natalie did. Basically, from the moment Jeremy gets voted out, as Jeremy says in his jury speech, Natalie balls out. She essentially um, gets John to trust her because John plays his idol to save himself. Then she mistakenly, quote-unquote, 
votes the wrong way and Alec goes home. Then she blindsides John and then she takes out Baylor here. Natalie plays such a great game. And I think this is her best move of the season um, because Natalie realizes heading into the final five, Missy and Baylor are mother daughter. This isn't like Sierra or Laura. <laughs> Baylor is not voting out Missy here whatsoever. And she's like, okay, if I get to final four and it's me, Missy, Baylor and Keith, they could turn on me if Keith wins immunity and I'm going to go home because Keith was the challenge threat up until that point. So if Keith wins again, I'm screwed. So she realizes I'm going to take out an unbreakable bond and I'm going to basically save Jack Lanier, who's a big threat, who's also an immunity threat that could beat Keith, which she ends up beating Keith. And I'm going to basically secure myself at the end game here. And like I said, she asked Jacqueline, did you vote for who I told you to vote for? saves Jacqueline and presents her masterful game. I think this is a really underrated, great end game move. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Natalie is definitely a better winner than a lot of people may give her credit for. She, you know, she, she pretty much had complete control of the game from the merge on. Um, And I, you know, like I, you know, she made big moves like this and I have to say it was a little bit disappointing to watch her get screwed in the winners at war. Uh, tribe tribe draw i should say where she gets put with jeremy and it's just basically the easy first vote i should say um but look complete challenge beast ends up winning her way back and ends up the the runner up of the season whether it's controversial or not so natalie truly one of the great great survivor players that we've ever seen and you know this move to save jacqueline here was definitely a great one so cracks our top 10 and makes number nine yeah let's go all right, so number eight, one of my personal favorites, Tony bluffs about the super idol, Kageyan. So this was a truly masterful move, and I want to point out that I believe that Tony has never successfully played an idol to save votes from himself. Um, and that's bizarre, but I believe that that is, that is what the case is because he uses idols in a different way. He uses it kind of as leverage, and... Here, he gets a super idol that can be played after the votes are played. But he says, well, I can advance myself. for If I'm not going to win, be winning immunities, I can advance myself further in the game by acting by basically using this as leverage and telling people that this could be played at Final Four, and that's its power. So the super idol was completely powerless at the Final Four, but Tony tells Cass, Spencer, and Wu that that the idol could that the idol the super idol the super idol's power is that it can be played at four not five so he survives an extra tribal council and gets to final three because he bluffs his way by the super idol and everybody believes him and then doesn't win immunity at final three but convinces Wu to take him to the final two locking up the win for tony and kageyan truly masterful gameplay and why one of the one of the, the beginning of the the beginning of the greatest player of all time right here <laughs> yeah i agree calling out john rocker there um oh god i, I love sam wandel sir quick side note i know it's an underrated season but i love <laughs> sam wandel sir a lot um yeah no this this move by tony again goes to that one step above where you know you're just and actually dylan texted me this back when um tony did his um deep dive with rob like tony just thinks on a level that's not where anyone else like tony thinks miles above where anyone else is thinking of his mind just goes a million miles an hour and it's i can't even imagine another player that can conceptualize what tony can conceptualize um 
But this is really interesting where he's kind of bluffing about the rules of the idol. And I think, I think more people should do this again. It has to be within the rules, Dylan, because sometimes CBS is very strict on like what you can and can't lie about. Like back when I used to watch big brother, um, the show was very strict and like, if you have an advantage of Big Brother, you cannot lie about the rules of the event. Like they, they will tell you, you cannot lie about what it can do. But in Survivor, we see a lot. You can kind of bluff and say, "Oh, it could be used until five. It could be used until four. Um, oh, this has matured into a real idol. This has not matured." Like I think, as long as you can bluff and you ask producers, "Can I lie about this?" You should do it because then that means you're kind of getting people to your way of thinking, and they kind of have to go along with the game that you're putting on the game board. So I think that. If Tony was allowed to do this, he really masterfully carved his path to ensure his endgame. Absolutely insane. And I know that you, and I agree that more people should definitely do that at, within the rules with the, you know, any advantage. They should, you know, stretch the rules a little bit to their, to, you know, play it up a little bit more. But we're just like, this is truly next level. And I, I remember, um, I remember you mentioned the uh, Rob Sesternino deep dive with Tony and how he's just thinking on a next level for anybody that did not watch that. I know it's three hours, so you may not have watched it all. I watched it on a span of a few nights because it's so long, but yeah. literally we did not see so much in the edited winners of war. I hope that if we, if we, if we don't have a season in the fall, just show us, uh, just show us unseen footage of Tony just running around the jungle at night, honestly. But apparently if you don't know this already, he used to just make fires at night in the jungle every single night. He barely slept. But what did he do out there? Not only was he searching for idols, he was creating fake idols. One of the reasons why Nick trusted him so much that wasn't shown on TV is because Tony created a fake idol and showed it to Nick so that Nick was trust would trust him more. Also, Tony would just do crazy things to lower his threat level that you would not even think of, think of such as standing on lower ground when he's talking to somebody else purposely losing games around camp like wearing the buff in a not threatening way like just crazy stuff that you that nobody except for tony would ever think of this stuff so guys guys just insanely good and this move with the super idol and in kageon is truly one of the best you've ever seen the greatest of all time love to see it all right so the next this is one of my this is one of my favorites. Also, I could take this one, number seven, and then you'll take number six. But yeah, go for it. Number seven, right here. Sarah votes out Sierra to obtain the legacy advantage in Game Changers. I know that Game Changers is a controversial season. Many people don't love the cast. Uh, people complain about the order of the votes, but Sarah truly played a great game in Game Changers, and this was just an this was her best move, an absolutely unbelievable move. But the legacy advantage, for those who don't remember, it's that where you're where you could be it could be played at 13 or 6, I believe. And if you played it, those you have immunity. Um and so that was obviously going around in game changers. And Sarah knew because she had gained trust with Sierra that Sierra had the legacy advantage and that she could gift it to somebody after she would get voted out. So she built that set. Now we, we talk about Sarah's social game and how it's one of the best of all time here. She got so close with Sierra that Sierra basically never saw Sarah blindsiding her on like even through when it actually happens. Like, and you know, and we talk about theatrics, Sarah, as all this was happening, pretended to be shocked and, and Sierra completely bought it and ends up giving her the legacy advantage. She uses it in the, episode where Suri unfortunately gets voted out because she, she's the only one with uh no with no safety no immunity um but 
this was truly next level from Sarah. God, anytime I hear advantage get and I, I cringe on the inside. Um, and it's also, this is so crazy to see on a rewatch. If you ever rewatch this episode, because I think in the first few minutes we see Sierra tell Sarah this and you realize, Oh, this is when her fate was sealed because right after Sierra tells her, Sarah goes, Oh, you know, she's trusting me with this information. I might want to keep her in the game. I might want to, you know, work with Sierra moving forward. Cause she trusts me. But then when she realizes, oh, the votes are kind of going to go Sierra's way, but maybe they won't, Sarah goes, you know what? I need that advantage. I want that. And she, like you said, Beatrix plays it up so perfectly. She does lose Sierra's jury vote, but I think Sierra was going to vote for her number one ally, Brad, no matter what. So it's not too much of a loss, honestly. Um, and Sarah just, this paves her way to do a great job in the end game. And I actually... It was never shown in Advantage Geddon. It was never shown who the six votes were for. All we know is that Sarid never got a single vote. According to one or two sources, Dylan, it looks like Sarah actually got like one, two, or three votes. Sarah actually had votes coming her way. So this possibly could have saved her in that tribal. So I think this was an amazing move by Sarah and proves to some people's, hefts, to some people's discredit why Sarah is such a great player. Yeah, and I last week I called her top five all time, and this is one of the reasons why. She's just so great socially and strategically. Uh, but speaking of Sari and her no-vote advantage get in Tribal Council, your, one of your favorite moves of all time, number six. Uh, Sari's 3-2-1 plan in Panama. Oh, uh, the 3-2-1. Sari Fields, I will always say the best to never win. Um, she may has she may have another uh, move on this list as well at some point. Um so again, like I mentioned when I first men talked about Devin Pinto, when you see a first-time player think a few steps ahead and say, what's going to happen and how can I prevent that from happening? This is what Sari does here. And we've seen Sari do nothing but amazing moves throughout all her time in Survivor. Um, Sari basically at the final six in Panama, and this is also going back to minority vote splits, if you can pull off a plurality vote, basically where you can pull off a vote out where you have half or less than half of the votes and you don't have a majority, that speaks to how great you are at working through the social matrix. Sari realizes at the final six of Panama that, listen, Terry wants to take Courtney to the end. Shane wants Courtney in the end. Obviously, Courtney wants Courtney in the end. So at this point, when there's only a final two in Survivor, that takes away a guaranteed spot for Sari. She has a less chance of getting there, and she wants to make that happen. Forgetting of how big of a challenge threat Terry is, forgetting about Aris being a likable guy, if Courtney's there, even if she can't win, she's taking a spot away from Sari. So Sari goes, how do I vote out Courtney without pissing off Shane and Terry, but also making sure that I can get there? So she basically goes to Shane and says, look, who do you want out? And Shane says, I want Danielle gone yesterday. So she goes, fine, we can vote out Shane. We'll, we'll rope in uh, Courtney and Aris. We're going to vote out Danielle. She won't see it coming. Then she goes to Courtney and makes a final four with Courtney, Aris, and I'm sorry, Courtney, um, Danielle, and Terry, and says, We're going to vote out Aris here because Terry wants Aris gone because they're rivals, and Courtney thinks Aris will win. So she says, Shane's voting for Danielle. He'll be left on his own, and we are going to vote for Aris. She then says to herself, Okay, now Shane is the one person voting for um, Danielle. And Terry and Courtney are the two voting for Aris. So there's three left. Me, Aris, and Danielle. 
if we vote for Courtney, Courtney goes home in a three, two, one that they won't see coming. And again, this just proves that how great she was at understanding the social matrix in the game and maneuvering through it. Sari Fields just masterminded the final six. Yeah. And I mean, we talk about on this list, we talk about stuff that has never been done before. And mm-hmm. at that point in survivor, that's just such a unheard of type thing. And, you know, now it's paved the way to players to have three, two, three, uh, four, three twos and other, you know, votes like that. So when we see, you know, the first of a move is always more impressive. So, you know, really, well, we have, if we, we may have a four, three, two coming up, but there's more to that. So I, so, you know, all credit to three, I completely agree that she's one of, if not the best to ever win. All right. Number five, Kelly Wentworth's idle play the savage blind side in Cambodia. So this is obvious. This is obviously, you know, almost all survivor fans, one of their favorite moves, one of the best tribal councils of the new school era. Um, you have, which is Coven three verse nine at the Mer- uh, just, you know, Cass had gotten voted out. So it was three verse nine. You have Sierra, Abby and Wentworth on the bottom. And then you have the nine in the majority and, Kelly has the idol that she had found in a challenge in the very first episode. And she basically says, you know what? I'm going to play it. And it turned out that the nine did not split votes. All the votes went on Kelly Wentworth. It is the most votes ever, ever voided by a person who played an idol. So she knows all their votes and them three end up voting Savage who goes out in an absolutely brutal way on a second chance and it was arguably the best idol play of, that we've ever seen. So Kelly Wentworth, and that, and I was I was reading on I was reading on Reddit the other day, and it, somebody made a meme about it or whatever. And people were like, "That's the moment she became like a legend. Like it was it was that good of a move. Like it, it truly was." And obviously, it, it helps that she played such a good game the rest of the way as well. It does not <laughs> Wentworth does not count on because I love hearing that moment. Um, but like Tony once said, we are now in the top five, baby. Any of these moves you can consider to be your favorite move of all time or your best move of all time or whatever criteria you want to use. But yeah, anytime that you become the player to negate the most votes against you, you definitely put your mark in the history books here. Um, it's always debated why you know the majority alliance didn't split the votes between the minority. But in the end, it, this was a great play here. And imagine if the Witch's Coven says we take out Jeremy here. I, I don't think they were going to do that because I think Kelly and Jeremy were still kind of close from Sam Wendell, sir. But, you know, Savage goes out in a big way here. Um, imagine if like a Spencer goes out or a Jeremy goes out. This is just crazy to see on a rewatch. Um, and even though Savage goes home, this is also a Savage blindside. Yeah, something I had never really thought of about this. Like, if you're talking about Jeremy and his meat shield strategy, like Savage is almost the perfect person to align with his meat as a meat shield. Cause he's just such an outspoken leader that you know, that he's always going to probably get votes before you. So just, just another layer of Jeremy's game. I should say not that he had that much control of that at all, but I thought that was, I think that's interesting a little bit. All right. Number four, Russell gets Tyson to flip his vote. Heroes versus villains, a classic move that was being debated on our Twitter replies today. Go for it, Ryan. Oh, man. This is one of the greatest moves of all time. And the, what happened in our Twitter replies was that some people were linking to a Reddit page where if you should check it out if you haven't seen it yet, where it kind of goes over a secret scene between Parvati and Tyson, where even though I think Russell should get credit for this move, it's a masterful play. 
I think Parvati had a bit more going on behind the scenes as well, uh, where she kind of, it kind of explains why Tyson really does throw his vote at Parvati. But yes, no, this is a really crazy move where it's the villains tribe and it's the outsiders of Russell, Danielle and Parvati versus Boston Rob as majority. And Russell realizes, look, it's going to be three votes on me, three votes on Parv. I have the idol. If I save myself, she's going home on a revote and there's nothing I can do about it. But you know what? Maybe I can do something about it. And I think what you will see, Dylan, in this top five and with a lot of these plans is trying to make the impossible possible, trying to get yourself out of a really tough situation because that's the mark of a great player where you see the pieces lay out in front of you and you go, well, I don't like how this looks. I'm going to do something to change it no matter how hard it might be. Because if, if everyone just stays loyal, like Rob says, if you just stay to the plan or as Keith Nail says, stick to the plan, then it's it can't fail. But Rob pulls, not Rob, Russell pulls aside Tyson and goes, look, I, lo- I love her. She's in my alliance, but I can't really help her. I think I'm going to throw my vote at her. And Tyson goes, oh, well, I'm voting for Russell, but Parvati's going to go home anyway. I might as well vote, vote for Parvati. And as we see in a secret scene, I think Tyson picks up on the fact that if Parvati doesn't go home, he might go home. So he tries to ensure his safety, which is explains it a bit more, even though it was still a bad move. And he says, look, Russell's telling me that Parv will get the votes i'm gonna vote for parv and then russell says okay well i'm gonna play my idol on parvati she's safe and all the votes on her are are negated i'll get two votes but then the three votes will carry the day and tyson will go home it's such a masterful play at like the final 16 in this game to see a great play that early is crazy yeah and i mean i again such next level thinking i feel like i've said next level a million times that's (laughs) truly what it is and we're talking about these moves and you know Look, it was kind of a panic move by Tyson. And there's such a fine line between worst moves and best moves. Like the best move for somebody else could be the worst move in the history for somebody else. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of what it is here. Um, You could say that Tyson makes one of the worst moves in Survivor history. But at the same time, what made it happen? The best move, one of the best moves in Survivor history from from Russell here. So I think, you know, and I I think that, you know, and, and a season 27 or beyond Tyson doesn't make this mistake where he's as experienced to know not to panic. And that's something he did here where even if it's a three, three vote and I, or three, 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 cause he didn't know about the idol, but if it's a three, three, three vote, then, and let's just say, even if the, the idol is played, so it's a three, three and your name's on the block, you still are in the majority. So on the revote, um, Russell will be the one to go home. So I think that, you know, he did kind of panic a little bit, but, in a game of Survivor where you have little food in your system, you have so many things going on, all my all it might take is a few Cs just to get somebody going a little bit crazy, and that's exactly what Russell perfected. So if if you can control the way they feel, you can control the way they think. So as, <laughs> as, he, once, as he once famously said, I was gonna throw in there, he says it's yeah. called a Russell seed, and when it takes root, it just grows. So yeah. Russell's great at playing on the paranoia, putting on the fear, and doing a great job here. And if if this move if Tyson votes correctly here, who knows? We could we could be seeing we could have seen a Boston Rob win in Heroes versus Heroes versus Villains. Like you know, you never know what you could have seen because Boston Rob was pretty much running this game early. So I think I think it is interesting. You could have seen a variety of different outcomes if Russell ends up going home. Yeah, and again, really quickly also to go back onto the you know the uh, go bigger go home factor of Chris Underwood. I mean. When you're basically up against the wall, like Russell could have easily gone here if somebody else voted one extra way. 
um, he basically gives up his idol to Parvati, putting himself in the crosshair. So anytime you make a ballsy move like that, that gets a lot of credit. Yeah, for sure. It is definitely one of the best moves that we have ever seen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, we, we have more from here as villains coming up, and that is why it's such a great season. Anytime you can get two top four moves in a single season, you know it is the best of all time. Mm-hmm. Okay, the next move, another one that is very, very recent in our memories. Tony beats Extortion and blindsides Sophia in Winners at War in what could have been the best single performance in a single episode, maybe minus Chris Underwood or maybe over Chris Underwood. Um, you know, Tony ends up winning the game as well, but what an episode this was for Tony. Not only does he win immunity, does he get the most confessionals ever? He gets extorted and he somehow figures out a way to get all the tokens that he could still participate in the immunity challenge, which he wins. And then at the last second, he knows that, well, he knows that there's a split vote coming or a supposed split vote coming between Jeremy and Michelle. And he says, well, if I could get four together, it would be a four, three, two, and we could pull this off. And at the last, and what's so perfect about this is he waits until the very last minute to where people can't scramble anymore, really. And he goes, I'm, you have to trust me. We have to vote Sophie. We have to vote Sophie. They're voting for you. Goes up to Jeremy and says it because that Jeremy was the, was supposed to go home here. Jeremy and Michelle were, were together. So she ends up coming with. And then Nick was also very close with Tony and says, yeah, let's make a big move. And this is just perfected so perfectly. And this is the move that I think ultimately puts Tony in position to win winners at war, because had Sophie stayed in the game, I'm not sure that Sophie would have stood for Tony pretty much running things. And Sophie was playing a top three game in winners at war. So I have to give her credit. And, you know, the fact that they did this so perfectly where she didn't even see coming to the point where she goes home with an idol in her pocket as well. It's just, it's so perfect. So perfect. An amazing episode beating extortion, putting, putting it all, putting it all like together is just amazing. No, I do agree with everything you said. I I honestly think if we're talking about best in show or who's had, you know, an episode where it's considered one of the best singular episode performances, Tony has to take that crown here. And I do think if he doesn't make this move, Sophie's in a great spot to maybe win this game. And Sarah also was set up very well here. I think this was where Sarah kind of lost some footing in the game a bit with her number one ally. I, again, even with going back to the extortion, he had such a hard task where he had to get three extra tokens because he only had three himself. And he manages to go to two different sides of the alliance in the game and says, hey, I need a token. Gets one from Ben, gets one from Nick, Jeremy. He gets these tokens from two different sides of people in the game two different alliances which is insane beats extortion gets the immunity then basically says look i know jeremy and michelle are gonna be the split vote here but i need jeremy in this game so why don't i pull in nick and i'll have jeremy and michelle and we vote out sophie it's just so masterful here honestly tony um i know we love the craziness of kagi on tony but winners at war, Tony plays so high level, so flawlessly. It's amazing to see. Yeah. And I could even make an argument that this deserves to be higher. Like I, I think it's that good. It's just, it was so perfect when you couple everything together. And I mean, you know, we, we talk about the reason why the two that we're going to talk about ahead of this are ahead is because I think that it's more of quote unquote, pulling off the impossible. And that's something we talk about with big moves. I wouldn't exactly th- now this, Definitely the odds were against him. I'm not, you know, like, yeah, he pulled off the impossible, but was it to the extent of the two ahead? That's something for 
everyone's a debate, but like mm-hmm. like you said, any of these top moves could be number one. Like they're all so so good. Yeah, I, again, that's why I mentioned when we got to the top five, baby. I said um, you could rank these in any order you really want. Right, and we have number two here: Parvati's double idol play slash. Russell plays up the women's alliance in Heroes vs. Villains. A classic, classic move. I will agree, Tanner. I will uh, wa- do the happy dance, and I'll uh, watch some Mike Holloway later tonight. Um, I, wait, yeah. wait. But before, we, before we go on here, yeah. if, if you watched if, – if Tan- Tanner, if you watched our podcast last week, I am a huge Mike Holloway fan. I, that was one of my hot takes. I said he should have been on Winners at War. I said Worlds Apart is an underrated season. I'm a big Mike Holloway fan. I think he played a pretty fantastic game in Worlds Apart, and I would have loved to see him on, see him on Winners of War. So, and I, yeah, I mean, we, we we will be we will be watching. Sure, I'll, I'll watch Mike Holloway videos anytime. <laughs> um, so with Parvati's double idol play slash Russell plays up the women's alliance because they kind of go hand in hand here. If you look at any list, I know our list you could either agree with or disagree with, but if you look at the 10 best idol plays, the top five power plays of all time, best strategic moves, everybody has this move in their top five no matter what. It's the most – well, also with our number one as well. It's it's the most consistent placement overall. Um, this move by well, – let's, let's start with Russell because Russell kind of like sets the seeds up for this move to happen and then Parvati kind of like puts the finishing blow on it. Um Basically, after Rob goes home, well, I mean, technically Randy goes home first and then Tyson, but Russell plays up this whole act where after the guys on the villains go home one by one, he gets to the challenges. He's like pleading to the heroes. He's like playing up the fact that there's an all women's alliance and the heroes buy it hook, line and sinker. JT in one of the worst moves ever writes Russell a note saying, this is not a joke. I wouldn't waste your time or mine. I I probably could recite half the note actually. Um, But he says, I will give you the idol if you vote with us at the merge and you take out Parvati, which obviously Russell will not do. And when they get to the merge, Russell plays up the fact that, oh, Parvati's still here because she pulled out an idol and Courtney went home, but I'm with you guys. And this basically sets up the stage for Parvati's double idol play where Danielle wins immunity and now Parvati has an idol and Russell's going to give her an idol because she's kind of in the hot seat. Amanda goes to Parvati and says you better play that thing because we're voting for you. And Parvati is so well in tune with the social game and and the strategic game. She knows from playing with Amanda before Amanda's lying to her face and they're not voting for Parvati. They're going to flush out the idol and vote for either Sandra or Jerry. And they're not going to vote for Russell because they think Russell's with them. So Parvati susses out. If I have two idols, because this is a critical vote, this is a five, five vote, whoever, and you know, whoever, survives this vote will carry the day in this game and the villains end up running the table in the end of the season they can't vote for danielle they're gonna they're lying to me about voting for me they think russell's with them so they're gonna pick either jerry or sandra so to guarantee that one of them's safe i'll play my idol on both of them and ensure their loyalty to me and she ends up taking out jt here this is just so well done on all aspects of the game. And like you said, it's making a very hard task made possible. Yeah. I'll play this one for Sandra and then Jeff I'll play. And I like to increase our odds. So (laughs) incredible, incredible move by poverty. And (laughs) I think like, again, this just is another move that just had so many different moving parts. First of all, it's extremely important because it's five, five at this point Mm. and you need the numbers. So Russell playing up his, 
playing up the woman's alliance by just being like, yeah, up, they're all against me and like making faces and, and like facial expressions to the other tribe. Like, and, and I, I just remember like the heroes are all like, Oh, we're, co- we're, we're come to help you, Russell. Like it, it was just, they, they didn't know who Russell Hans was. They didn't know that they were dealing with the biggest villain in survivor history. And I think that he, he, per- he pretty much perfects that to the point where not only do they want him, do they want him on their on him side? They want him on, they, they want to save him enough that they get that JT gives, gifts him the idol. And then that idol is used to make the move to get JT out. So it's just, it is truly amazing. And the fact that the, that one of the idols were played for the right person that JT does get out at a five, five, and it gives him complete control of the rest of the game. So really a amazing move. Yeah. I mean, this, again, this is why we mentioned when we talked about Denise slaying the queen, a double idol play is seen so rarely. So when you see it pulled off and pulled off well and perfectly, it just, it makes for great TV, makes for great conversations, great strategic play. So we'd love to see it. All right. Our number one move. I think a lot of people know what is coming. The Black Widow Brigade convinces Eric to give up immunity. And again, we talk about making the impossible possible and for an alliance of four, Parvati, Amanda, Sari, and Natalie versus Eric, who had immunity. Well, how do these four advance in the game if Eric has immunity? Well, wait, would he give up his immunity? And the fact that, you know, I know I don't know if anyone watched the, I'm sure a lot of people did, but the documentary, the one-hour documentary they did right before Winners at War, they had interviews with every with Parvati, and she was basically saying, this move needed to be played Every single person needed to perfect their role in order for this to get to, you know, completely work. And it did. Natalie plays Eric perfectly. Eric gives up his immunity and gets voted out in what is both the dumbest move and best move in Survivor history. Yeah, like you said, making the impossible possible. Like, out of every move on this list, like, this move should not have worked. Eric is guaranteed safety to the final four. He has seen these women all take out the men by blindsiding Ozzy and Jason. He knows that they, and basically when you see a precedent that has been set before you, you kind of pick up on the pattern. Eric doesn't pick up on the pattern and this should not have worked. And it did. And the minute Sari says on the beach, I wonder if he would give up his necklace to you, Nat. The plan is set in motion. Like you mentioned, Dylan, they all have a role to play. Amanda and Parvati have to get mad at Eric at tribal council to make sure he feels guilted into making this move. And Natalie and Sari will stay quiet. So he feels like I'm, they're voting with me. Natalie has to go to him and say, look, give me the necklace and we'll vote for Amanda. And he says kind of smartly, well, why can't we just vote for Amanda? And I don't give you the necklace. And she's like, because you have been wishy-washy all game. You're not trustworthy. I've heard you talk to Amanda, then lie about Amanda. You've lied about me. I can't trust you'll actually vote Amanda's name down. So you know what? I'm not going to make this move with you if you're not willing to give a little. And then he goes to Sari and, and he says like, Sari, why can't I just keep my necklace? And she's like, and this is why again, Sari Fields is amazing. Cause she plays it so perfectly and she knows exactly what to say where she says, you know what? Like actions speak louder than words. If your credibility is shot, then your words mean nothing. It's your actions that will carry the day. And if you give up your necklace, that would cue me to vote for Amanda. And he does it. The Black Widow Brigade basically makes a task where 
No one should ever give up. No matter what, you should never give up your immunity at Final Five, ever, ever, ever. And they basically get Eric to give up a safety thinking, oh, I'll vote out Amanda here because I can't win in the end. I need a game-winning move. Maybe this is my move. And like Sari says, the minute he lets go of that necklace, his torch will, his torch will be snuffed so fast. And it happens. This I, I think this is the best move in history because not only was it impossible, but it took multiple people playing at peak level to pull it off. I just think this is the height of Survivor gameplay. Yeah, it's it really is incredible. And then you have James laughing on the jury as he's relieved of his worst move ever. I've lost where, my reign as dumb. Yeah, where, where, where he goes home with two idols in his pocket. I mean, what a, I, and then Eric comes back and fans are his favorites and ends up getting medevac. So I do feel bad and at, at final five, nonetheless also, but yeah, I mean, Eric has definitely had quite the ride in survivor. He is part of the dumbest move in survivor history. And then he plays a really solid game when he comes back and gets medevac at final five. So what a what a uh, what a story arc for him, but uh, yeah, uh, and what a just incredible move here though by the Black Red Widow Brigade, the best alliance or one of the best alliances in history of Survivor pulls off the best move in our opinion in the history of Survivor. So, you know, we ranked our top twenty, and I you know I'm curious to hear what people think. So, I would like to see in comments what we left off, what should be higher, what should be lower. Like, I want to hear what people think. So. Send in the comments, and we'll try and fill some time while you guys are commenting. Yeah. So while um, people are putting in other moves to talk about, um, I mentioned Mike Holloway's move that Tanner mentioned earlier in the podcast, where basically he has immunity, and he's going to give his idol, supposedly his idol to Shireen, to bluff. And actually, Tyler ends up getting two votes. So do you have any other comments about that bluff by Mike Holloway? Um, I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to pull up the details here. Cause I'm trying to, you know, it's, I'm just like trying to remember details of, uh, of this move. Yeah. But, I think it's the, um, it's, I think Shireen goes out at final eight, I believe. And Mike has immunity and they're all going to vote for Shireen cause she's on the outs. And I think Mike says, look, Shireen's voting for Tyler. I'm voting for one of the other of you. So to make sure it's not you going home, throw your vote on somebody else. And, oh, I'm sorry, Tyler doesn't get two votes. I'm sorry. Basically, Dan gets two votes. Dan gets a vote from Tyler Dan, and Will. Dan, so here, here's how it works. Yeah, Dan, Mike Mike vote, Mike vote, and Shireen vote for Tyler. Uh, uh, Will votes for Dan. Tyler, Tyler votes for Dan. Yeah. And then the rest, for the other four, Carolyn, Rodney, Sierra, and Dan vote for Shireen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah I don't I don't know I I think Mike Mike played a pretty phenomenal game, but yeah the only reason why like I guess to answer what, maybe what Tanner's thinking the reason why I I didn't have it on the list for top twenty was because I think it was a great bluff and it showed that Mike has strategic chops past his physical game but I feel like you know it didn't keep Shereen in the game he still lost an ally and he was, he basically his position didn't change he was still in a bad spot. I mean, I know that Dan got two votes, so that alliance showed some cracks and then Tyler goes home in the next vote showing the cracks in the alliance. So I, and it was Russian roulette. I do think that it was exciting to TV and it kind of led that alliance to crack, but Mike still wasn't the hot seat for the rest of the game. So I think it was a good move, but it didn't kind of like change his positioning. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Ryan. Um, again, I think Mike's a very underrated winner. Um, she should have been a win- on winners at war. But uh, 
I would not put that in the top 20. Any other moves from the comments that we should talk about for top moves or best moves in history? Yeah, and if we don't get any other comments, um, if you're watching this not live, then be sure to throw everything in the comment section on YouTube um, because we will be reading all those. And we, you know, while while we while we wait for some comments, so we don't have anything planned for next week yet. We will have a po- we will have a podcast um, next week for sure. But I we have to decide what that is going to be. Maybe we'll leave it up to the fans again. Maybe we'll go right back into casting graphs. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. But you know, me and Ryan will discuss that. We'll reach out to the fans to see what you guys want to see next week, and we will definitely do that. But up, oh, we have a comment right here. I think Michelle voting out Julia, her biggest ally, was a great move for her and ultimately helped her gain trust to get to the end. Then Ty not giving up his idol was good too, right? So when we spoke, when we spoke about Ty, the, we we you know we gave a little bit of credit to Aubrey also, but Aubrey convincing Ty to flip and then Ty not giving up his idol. That's part of the, um, that that's part of the same move. So we consider where, where do we have that ranked? We had that, I believe at number 12, 13, uh, we did at number 13, right? Yeah. So that, that we all coupled into one. Now, Michelle voting at Julia, her biggest ally. Now, Michelle is, I would love to rewatch Korong because I remember in real time, I was like, not that impressed with Michelle's game, probably because she was overshadowed by Aubrey. And then Ty was finding all those idols, but you know, Michelle showed in Winners at War why she won that season. Like, she's brilliant, brilliant socially and an underrated strategist as well. So, I, I mean, I agree with you that in this case, voting, voting at Julia was was a good move as well. Yeah, I think in Survivor, I mean, Russell, when we, when we talked to him, and I, he mentions this all the time, his game is that he sticks with his allies. He doesn't, um, he doesn't you know, go back on them. He wants them to stay. But there are other strategies where you say, look, I need to understand when to cut my ally. I need to know when to cut my losses and move on. And I think Michelle does that really well here. I think Michelle realizes that Aubrey does not want to work with Julia. And Michelle wants to move forward with the girls, Aubrey and Sydney. And she says, like, look, Julia is perceived as a big threat. I'll vote her out here. And that will demonstrate my loyalty. And then in the next vote, Ty actually wants to get rid of Michelle and Aubrey and Sydney say, no, we're going to take out Jason instead. So I think that actually it was a very subtle move, Adam, but I think it allowed her to get into the, um, the girl's good graces and Michelle managed to, you know, cement her spots in that alliance. Yeah. And we, we spoke about it before, uh, uh, I believe it was with the Spencer, Spencer voting a fishback move, getting into that inner circle just to get, just to advance yourself further in the game is so, so important. And that's what Michelle did here, which was, you know, and she ends up winning the game. So I, I agree that this is definitely a great move. All right. Sierra voting at her mom. We, we, so, okay. So we had discussions. Uh, so we had discussions about this. I think that this is a, okay. So first of all, I want to say that voting out your mom is a great move regard. Like it's, it's an extremely tough thing to do. And Tony spoke about this on his, on his, uh, on his, uh, on his podcast with Rob Sesternino as well. Like when you're so close to somebody, like he completely refused to vote out even Sarah, who's not even family to him, just a you know very close friend, obviously. So to vote out your mom is extremely impressive. Now we were considered. Now the, the reason why we don't have it ranked in the top twenty of moves is because Laura Moret was going home no matter what that episode, and she went along with the numbers in order to stay in that alliance. So I think that it's a great move, but it was not completely orchestrated by her. So that's, that's really, that's really the reason we don't have it on here. 
Yeah, I mean, Dylan sums it up. I don't have anything else to add other than I think if you're looking at this as a move or a moment, I think this is more of a moment. Like we will remember this where we see Laura uh, parentheses mom. We're always going to remember that. So I think it's more of a TV moment rather than a great move because Laura's bags were already packed. But I I think that it's a moment that we'll always remember. Yeah, for for sure. And I, you know, top survivor moments um, is something that we are considering doing a podcast on in the future top moments like so anything maybe maybe you know it could include moves but it's more just like moments like for example like sierra voting at her mom or uh the final four fire making challenge in winners at war like that would be a survivor moment so that could be a future idea for a podcast but any other comments about moves that we may have left out or stuff on the rankings Um, And if not, be sure to comment. I want to say that again. And I will plug us right now. Be sure to like this video. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube if you haven't. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Soul Survivor Pod. And while we're waiting for for any last questions, if we do get. Yeah, no. In the end, I thought this was a really fun podcast going over the – best and top moves. I think it's always fun to debate whether people agree with us or disagree. I'm sure some people would agree with our top 10 or disagree, but I think that it allows for more discussion, which is always what we, honestly, that that's what we want from this podcast is to have great fan inter- interaction and great survivor community interaction. So if we can just get that from people and with obviously constructive feedback, that's all we really want. Yeah. And be sure to like tweet at us or contact us. If you have any great ideas for us for you know, podcast going forward because it is going to be a long off season. And while we are going to do more casting drafts, like I thought it was great to just take a few weeks of a break. Yeah. From that, so, all right. And we are going to wrap things up here. Thank you, Andrew, for saying good rankings. Thank you for that. Um, but we will see everybody next Wednesday night and I'm excited. We'll, we'll let everybody know as soon as possible, as soon as we decide what that topic is going to be, but I'm excited for it. That's all we got for you now. Grab your torches and head back to camp. Good night.